Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Hello, EasyMed Nation. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Today, we'll have a special topic, which is software validation. I know that a lot of companies are struggling with that and they don't really know how to do it or how, uh, which process to follow. And for that, I invited two special guests to help you. They are from the company General Digital Software Services. Uh, it's uh, the vice president, Bill Stam, and the director for independent and uh, independent verification and validation, which is Rafael Blanco. And they will help us to have a better understanding of the steps to follow, of the requirements, of the mistakes not to do. Uh, so I think this will be really a great episode for you. Before to start, just uh, want to inform you that um, this podcast is available on uh, different platforms. Uh, as I've said, Stitcher, uh, Spreaker, uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes, um, and recently I added a new one, which is Google Podcasts. So if you are using Google Podcasts, so you can also find the Medical Device Made Easy podcast uh, on, on this platform. So thank you very much. So with Google Podcasts, I think you can also have access to Google Home. So if you have a Google Home, try it. Let me know if this is working. Okay, so um, let's go now. Let's jump now on the topic uh, and let's uh, have our two guests. Uh, so Bill Stam and uh, Rafael Blanco. So let's go. Hello, everyone. So we are here at the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Uh, and today, uh, as I informed you, so we have, uh, we have a guest. Uh, so this is uh, Vice President Bill Stam from uh, digital, um, soft, digital, uh, General Digital Software Services. Uh, and uh, we will um, talk specifically about software validations. And I think we have really the right SMEs here to help us understand that. Uh, so and to yeah to um, to try to understand also the regulations and what uh, is requested from uh, our companies, so our medical device companies. So, Bill, it's your stage. So please, can you make an introduction of yourself and uh, then of also of your company? Yes. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate the time uh, and and the discussion on this very important topic. Um, I'm Bill Stam. As, uh, as you heard, I'm Vice President of General Digital Software Services. I'm here with uh, my Director of Independent Verification and Validation, Rafael Blanco. Um, General Digital has uh, started uh, as a software company uh, 45 years ago, and we've specialized in safety-critical software um, throughout the entirety of the company, um, and we specialize in FAA, uh, DO-178, as well as FDA-62304, uh, type validation and certification uh, in the two main markets that we serve. Right. So uh, I think uh, medical device is one part of your business. You have many other um, businesses, if I can say it's not the, the only one. But do you see uh, on medical devices kind of a, um, a growing business or with software? Do you see more work coming from, from this kind of industry? Yes, uh, the FDA um, with their certification level is, is 
a little bit behind the FAA and the aerospace and avionics industry. And the software component is still something people are trying to figure out. So um, with our expertise uh, in this area, uh, we're very well positioned and educated to help people uh, very efficiently and cost effectively meet the demands of the FAA. Um, the independent verification is really the part for the FDA and now uh, coming uh, to Europe with the MDR um, that separates uh, the, the validation part of it as a really critical aspect to this. Okay, so uh, 45 years of um, existence, if I can say. So you had, I think, many uh, customers, many, uh, many uh, missions. So is there anything like a kind of a funny anecdote or something that you can maybe share with us or something that yeah, people can, uh, can try to, to listen to that? <laughs> There's, there's many, but uh, there, there is one that comes to mind um, as, as we work in many uh, industries, as you said, you know, the Department of Defense and, and, and weapons is, is one of them. So um, DON78, like 62304, is the certification level that you try to hit. So in the avionics industry, that is something that we'll see in the SRS in the South. Um, for a certain missile system, uh, they asked us for that in the beginning. And in the end, it became too tedious and took too long to get to market. So the joke was, we don't need it to be exact. We just need it to be close. Okay. So, um, we still did it to the standard, but um, you know, we like to do things exactly, but maybe perhaps it's not always required. So. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so yeah, so I hope we uh, don't have the same kind of customers from the medical device uh, people asking for. Yeah, not exact, but <laughs> exactly. that is good. Um, so, um, Let's go maybe now on, on, the, on the subject. So uh, as I said, the objective is really to uh, explain to, to the people, to the medical device industry, what is required for uh, software validation. We hear that a lot of times now. Uh, I think it's also a new requirement from the ISO 13485 for the quality management system. So I want to hear from you kind of uh, uh, steps that uh, people can really um, can really digest and uh, understand. Uh, and then can also bring to them to understand that maybe it's not so difficult, if I can say, or not not so difficult. I mean, it's kind of uh, an expertise, but uh, it's something that they can really understand in the big picture. Yeah, well, I'll give the overview is is basically it's it's a very important process to follow correctly from the beginning. Yeah, uh, we will we will say that over and over that the process and the procedures are, are dictated very clearly by the governing body. In this case, the FDA. Um, and you know, you start with the attended use of a medical device, and then you bring the documentation and also the work down to uh, the requirements document, the system level requirements, and then you just keep working down through in order um, with the proper processes and the separate department um, from development to actually do the development and testing. So as you're creating the, the SRS and the software documentation, um, the SDD, the architecture, um, you also should be doing code reviews and things like that. <clears throat> um, at some point, the independent verification and validation needs to be done and test cases need to be created. Um, during this process of development, that is something that has to be worked into the process or else you'll be spending money and time doing this later at a time when it's a little too late in the process to actually do it. So I'll let Raphael talk a little bit about where in the development side um, the test cases come into play and why it's important that independence is adhered to. 
And uh, just uh, just to uh, to emphasize that, so mainly we are talking here. We can talk about uh, a medical device that contain a software or a software that is a medical device by himself. So it's it's kind of the same the, the same process that we are following. Yes, it's the same process. So we start with uh, the requirements, uh, which is actually what dictates how you're supposed to code the device, whether it's a device that is, is mechanical or a software only device, uh, you still need to understand what it's supposed to do so that when you're coding it and you test it, you need to make sure that it's hitting the things that you said it was supposed to do. Okay, good. So let's dig on the technical part then. <laughs> sure, well, the, the, the VMV aspect of the things, you wanna, you wanna make sure that you start that process extremely early in the development process. The, the further you wait, it's gonna. It's the, the more costly it's gonna become. So it means that mainly, mainly on the on, on mainly what I suppose that on the procedure that we are creating, uh, on the planning phase, it's more like something that should be already discussed and already planned, and not waiting that we are moving forward on on, on the creation of the of the product or the software that we are starting to think oh we forgot we should do this and we we didn't do that. So some as you mentioned something that we should really plan early in our our process. Absolutely. Basically, when you when you start writing your your system software uh, high level requirements, you always want to keep in mind that those requirements, which whatever requirements you write, need to be testable. So a lot of times, people will create or companies will create requirements without that thought process behind it, and further down the line, they realize that certain requirements can't be tested. Now you got to go all the way back and and redo all the processes okay. and do the requirements, which is going to be very costly. Yeah. And in terms of validation, uh, you want to you want to do validation all throughout the development process. Basically, uh, in terms of 1345, you want to make sure that all the software tools that are being used by the development team and the verification team is uh, is also validated. So any 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 kind of tools that you use that's going to affect the output of, of any kind of uh, process. You, you really want to look at that validation with uh, with the risk uh, uh, analysis behind it. Okay, so just just to, to, to summarize that, so mainly we, here we are talking about validation of products, but before to validate the product, we have first to think about all the software that we are using to validate the product, if I can say. I suppose like some software used for statistical measures or some softwares um, used for some technical aspects. Uh, so before to start, we should confirm that those software are kind of validated. So this is mainly what you are saying. Yes, especially if it's something that you're taking credit for in any kind of certification process. So if you're using a static analysis tool and you're going to claim that, you, that you've executed this static analysis in your validation plan, you want to have a validation for the actual tool that you're using to make sure that it's producing what? Uh, that, that, that no. you really so it's not just a, it's not just a verification validation of the software that's on the system, but you also have to keep in mind uh, the validation of all the tools surrounding the development of that system. This is something that we explain to um, customers in startups in layman's terms is when you go to the gas pump or the petrol station, yeah. someone comes in to certify that that pump is actually giving you the correct amount of gasoline or petrol. Sure. So that's what these validation, the validation of the tools does to make sure that what we output as a deliverable to the customer for the device is accurate. Yeah, good. So uh, is there, is there, so uh, is there kind of, um, uh, 
what, what we are saying, for example, when we are getting a software from another company, so the idea is that this company is also providing us all the validation documents for that. So no need to do it ourselves when it's not our software. Or what do you think? Uh, well, even if it's a third-party software, if you're using it to, let's say if I use a third-party software to kind of validate all my outputs to, to, to show that they actually passed, and I'm, 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 I'm referring to that pass-fill status that this tool has given me, I need to validate that part of that tool to make sure that it is giving me a pass when it's really pass. Okay. So there's no false positives. Okay. Good. So I'm going to take credit in any any process within the the, the the software development phase, and I'm using a tool to take credit for that for that phase or that process. That tool needs to be validated, and all the validation when it comes to the to the tools, especially the tools, is all is all risk driven. So it depends on what the what the tool is being used for. You can determine how exhaustive those test protocols okay. are. Okay. It's really great, uh, yeah, yeah. So m more work to do that in, in that case. So <laughs> yeah, but again, if you if you think about this as a risk-based kind of analysis, early on you can you have a good idea as to which tools need to be validated and which tools don't. So and, it's really, it's really something yeah. you want to think about early on in the process. But at the end, yeah, so do you think we should validate those tools only once or at each new project or each new product or each new things we have to revalidate them? Or what do you think about that? The true answer to that is that you really should, especially if it's if the tool is being used in a different environment, you should rerun those cases in the new environment to make sure that it, it still works. Right. So it's the same as what you said. So risk is really uh, the word that we should use here. As soon as the risk change or there is a higher risk, then we should re rethink all this validation and see if it's still applicable. I think what we are using also in the medical device industries um, for validation of products is like using the worst case possible. Uh, instead of validating all the products uh, that are similar, it's just to say which one is the worst case and we validate this thing. So I think the same kind of... Uh, uh, it's the same. You basically, you're not, you, you don't need to validate the entire tool that you're using. You only need to validate the parts that you're using. Okay. So, so it's not as as cumbersome as, as you may think. And it's also called out, you know, uh, by the FDA documents, basically any kind of testing you want to do is really you, you're doing it all through risk because you want to take the least burdensome, uh, burdensome approach to, to the testing that you're doing. So you don't have to exhaustively test every single thing, but you need to really put time and analysis ahead of time in terms of the risk to determine what parts really need exhaustive, exhaustive testing. Good. So we have now this statement for um, for validation of tools. So if we come back to the product, so what are the next phases then for for this validation? Well, you want to. I mean, ver ver you know, the verification is happening all throughout the development process in terms of you know going from one phase to the next. As soon as you do, you know, you write your high level soft uh, software requirements. You really shouldn't go to the next phase of writing the low level requirements until those requirements are validated, uh, you know, in terms of uh, reviewing and making sure that they're kind of concise uh, and also verified as well in terms of, you know, if you have internal standards that you follow, you want to make sure that the requirements are, are were written against those standards. Um, and then validation is, is really checking to make sure that the requirements are truly uh, uh, conform to the intent that, that that's wanted for that, for that design. 
Okay, good. And, that's, and, that, and that stuff goes throughout the entire process. Basically, from anytime you move from one phase to the next, you really have to do some verification validation, make sure that everything is, is, is buttoned up before you move to the next phase. Yeah, and, and a lot of people will, will come to us at a different point in the project for our services. For instance, they'll come to us with code but no requirements, or they'll come to us with some code and the wrong requirements, and now you've, you've basically wasted time and money. So okay. the process is very important to follow it this way. It may sound, you know, from, from the beginning to be cumbersome as far as being so rigid, but it does save you time and money in the long run um, to make sure that when you are creating the code that it's correct and that you will be able to test it very easily and get your product to market quicker. Okay. Good. Um, when you are saying uh, you should verify or validate at each step, so how how does it look? So is it just a meeting with people, or it's a form to check, or and who is doing exactly that? It's uh, it, it's different for every project. In terms, you know, like I said before, it's really risk driven. So you can you can have it in a kind of a design review meeting before you move on to the next phase, and with a group of people, you can you know if it's a larger job and it's uh, you know definitely the parts that you're looking at is safety critical, then you may want to do a more in-depth kind of review um, of each individual requirement uh, and take a little more time in, in, in the analysis part of it. The other important thing to keep in mind too, early on, you always want to keep track of any kind of traceability that you have because mm-hmm. especially with traceability, the longer you wait, the more difficult it becomes to go back and try to back backstep your, your process, try to trace back stuff as opposed to tracing it down from the beginning. Traceability is very important in, 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 in any kind of BNB uh, activity. And that is one of the areas that has been the big difference, one of the big differences between uh, Europe and the rest of the world and, uh, and, the, and the United States and, and the FDA uh, is that low level of traceability. Um, it's something that everyone else is adjusting to and it's very difficult to do if you did not plan for it and did not have the right processes and procedures in place at the time. Okay, so when we are talking about traceability, is traceability of documents or traceability of uh, the different versions of the, our code or this kind of thing? Trace, traceability, pretty much everything. I mean, tra- traceability of the uh, BNV process, basically, you know, when we're dealing with any class two or class three devices here with the FDA, uh, we need to make sure that all every test case that we create uh, traces to an action requirement. And so there's no gaps. You don't have more requirements and you have the test protocols or you don't have additional protocols that aren't needed uh, due to the requirements. So you always, you know, basically for us, even all the way down to the unit test level, every single test case is is driven by a, a low level requirement that's directly traced to it. So that, and that also helps out with uh, regression testing because now if the change comes in, you can look at the requirements and automatically see which test cases are affected by that requirement. And know and and be able to quickly see the impact analysis of that change as in in a, in a higher scale. As you mentioned, so it's also um, to avoid to waste time, to waste money, to uh, have the good justification when we have done this or we have done that. Also to avoid to redo the same mistakes because uh, if you have done the mistakes once, you change it and you you didn't track that, so you come back to the same mistake again. So I think really it's uh, it's uh, a good good practice if I can say to to execute that. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I, we do see a lot of companies that they, they kind of don't do that kind of traceability. And then what happens is that they end up uh, spending and wasting a lot more money and time in the regression testing when that time could have been spent on the initial device 
and and made sure that you're putting out a device that that, that properly works with all the traceability. If you don't have that traceability, now the regression testing becomes a lot more difficult because now you have to, and, and a lot more risk involved too because now you don't have a clear understanding as to what test cases are affected by the change. Okay, uh, so um, if we uh, go back, so when we have a, a start of a project, uh, we want to create a software or product. So the first thing that we have to do is first uh, to, uh, as we said, to plan. So meaning, meaning to reserve all the requirements. I mean, it's kind of the customer requirements, what exactly they want, what, what they need, and to track that because this is mainly what we'll use at the end to, uh, to validate the process and to say this is exactly what people wanted. Uh, and then uh, when you are, then we are saying that we are going uh, phase after phase for, uh, for the creation, I think, of the code, for the debugging maybe of the code, for all those activities. And when we go from phase to phase, we have to go uh, to verify each step one by one before to move to the next next step. So is there a kind of, um, uh, so I know that there is a flow, uh, I think it's a VNV flow. So this is going from top to down and to, from down to top again. So can you explain a bit more about this, um, this process or this vision or this V, if I can say? Yeah, so when you're doing this process and you start with the intended use, you know, it's, it's very systematic in how it becomes more granular as you come out. You break it out in more detail each step as you go. So as, as Raphael was saying, we have the high-level requirements and then you also have low-level requirements that we can use to test each unit of code and each module. So at that point, that will trace up uh, to, to the low-level requirements. And from there, it will trace up again to the architecture and trace up again to the system design and trace up again to the high-level requirements. So the traceability will break down as you're de developing the code. And if you're validating each step, you'll be able to trace from the bottom all the way back up to the very top very easily. And that's what the FDA will do. They will look at your top level documents and follow a path all the way down to the unit level, especially safety critical or a part of a machine that is extremely safety critical and see that you've done the work all the way down to the very lowest level and traced it back up to the top. Um, and that is what is required for um, you know, a class three device. Okay, and uh, to go through all those steps, so do we need many kind of skills or just uh, IT skill is sufficient, or what, what kind of SME, if I can say, we need to go through all those steps? I'll just tell you really quickly that um, our testing group, which is completely independent from the development group, uh, which is why the I and IV and V is there, uh, the people who develop the code cannot test the code. Okay. Uh, that's very important. So it's a very unique culture on the testing side because it's so focused and very important. Um, and, and obviously you have to have high quality uh, on what you're doing and it's a very special person. So it takes about three months for someone to come up to speed in order to start testing live code for us. And only about half the people make it through that three months in order to do this. So it's not something that anyone off the street can do right away. Um, we have our own tools that work in conjunction with off-the-shelf tools. So that combination is something that makes us you know, a lot more efficient and good at what we do, but it also allows more people to be able to test the code. Um, and still, only 50% of the people make it those first three months to get to test live code um, because this is part of our business that's so important 
um, when you're talking about life and death, which is what we're talking about here, that um, you have to be absolutely perfect with what you do. Um, and then, you know, Raphael and his group had to do a very good job training people and, and constantly retraining people on new tools and new steps and processes um, that we interject into our pro, um, processes to make them more efficient. So, okay. so uh, as you said, so we have, this person has to do a lot of tests. So mainly, um, as Rafia said, it's mainly about the requirements that we have defined at the beginning that needs to be testable, if I can say, uh, that uh, if, if we cannot test them, we cannot confirm that it's, it's working well. So this is the things that we define at the beginning that people will get then and spend, I don't know, as you mentioned, a lot of time to really test each step one by one. Uh, are we doing the test only once or um, is it something that we are doing like uh, for reproductibility that we are doing maybe two or three times with three people or how, how is it working? It really depends on the, on the testing phase, but typically, uh, you know, especially with class two and class three devices, we have uh, formal uh, code reads that we do for each, uh, each function that's created. So not, not, just, um, not just integration testing and system testing, we're looking at the, 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 the functions um, by themselves. Um, so we do a separate formal code read. We also do a, a formal unit test on top of that that's independent from the, from the development team. And all those things trace up to low level requirements. Um, and then, but those, those particular tasks are done uh, by, by individual unit, uh, individual uh, engineers. So it's not, it's not done uh, uh, with a group of people at once. So code reads and unit tests are done uh, by individuals. Uh, integration and system testing uh, can be done by, by a couple uh, people at a time, uh, kind of you know, bouncing ideas back and forth in terms of uh, uh, making sure that, that, that the system and the integration testing is done robust, in a robust manner. And we're, we're trying to, you know, because what you want to do is, is, is think about ways to, to break it and make sure that the system handles any kind of faults that are, that are, that are sent to it. Uh, so, so it's really, um, you know, you have to have a really detailed oriented kind of, kind of thinking uh, to make sure that, that you try to cover all the, all the risks, all the, all the, all the trouble areas that you can. So in terms of uh, collaboration then with your, with um, the companies that you are working for, so um, are you, are you integrated fully to a project or they are just sending you a software and saying to you, here is the software, can you test it or how is it working? It's all it's all over the place. <laughs> we get we get all kinds of uh, jobs. Uh, some of them already started. Some of them halfway tested and they can't finish it. Okay. Uh, and that was tested uh, completely uh, supposedly and did not go through certification because of issues. And they want us to go back and fix it. Uh, and we have um, jobs that we where we create uh, the the prototypes from from scratch. Where we do the whole development, the design, the, the hardware components, the, the software, the testing and everything. So it depends, you know, it's all, we, we get all kinds of jobs. And when, when, when uh, I suppose when, when we go to, for example, to FDA or to, uh, to any um, regulatory body, so what is the, the main reason for to refuse or to reject uh, an application for, for a product? It's, it's all over the place. Um, if it's gone through us and we have given deliverables to the customer, um, we, it doesn't get rejected. Usually we'll get a question or two and, and that's really about it. 
um, but customers that come to us with rejected, mm-hmm. um, usually it's because the, uh, the the reports weren't accurate and it didn't show traceability um, mm-hmm. from the top to the bottom and back up again. Um, that's usually where, where the, the, the problems occur. They probably started with some really smart people making really great code. Uh, that great code wasn't safety critical code. Okay. So it didn't trace through, the requirements didn't match and the, the device does, you know, and I say this in air quotes, it does what they wanted it to do, but they just didn't document it correctly to show that they're proving that point to the FDA. Okay. So documentation is really one of the, one of, one of the biggest reasons for, for that. So we can have the best code or the best product or best software as soon as we have not the right documentation. Uh, we can lose time, lose everything and have to start back from, from... Should we start back from zero in that case or should we just correct documents or what's the kind of a strategy? <laughs> that sometimes is a very heated discussion here. Yeah. With the <laughs> because the, a lot of times customers don't want to hear that their code is, is really bad because yeah. people worked on it, correct? So um, we show them why and explain to them why good code isn't necessarily safety critical code. Um, and then we work through the process with them and then we tell them the cost to redo it from scratch or to try to fix it. And then they make the determination. And I can tell you right now that if they spend a million dollars getting it to that point, um, our alternatives are probably uh, double or triple that to fix it or do it the right way from scratch. So they mm-hmm. should have just done it that way to begin with. Okay, great. And uh, in terms of uh, regulation, so as we discussed about FDA and Europe, so um, do you think there is a major differences or a software that is approved by FDA can be rejected by European Union or is there any similarities? I, I think I think there's a lot of similarities. I think the, the difference before the, 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 the new MDR that's coming out or that just came out last uh, in 2017 is more uh, just the, the, the inspectors uh, doing checking checking what they're supposed to check. I think the, the, the standards were in place, but I think here the difference is that, that they're a lot tougher in terms of enforcing those regulations than, 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 what, than how it was before in Europe. Okay. So people, people would, 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 it would be a lot easier to get away with stuff in Europe than it is here, even though the, the standards are very similar. Yep. And you think that the MDR will reinforce this or will, re, will harmonize yeah. all this? Uh, from what I understand, I think some of the changes that they made has to do with, with enforcement and making I think uh, uh, before it was just a lot quicker to get through exactly. market. Now it's going to be a lot more difficult, more time consuming because they're going to take their time kind of making sure that everything is in place and not, not try to rush through it. So that, so that is my understanding. And, it, and it's a good thing because we, in the past, we would have a European company or a company from somewhere in the world that has CE mark come to us and, and say, Hey, we're going to send you our documentation. Can you just flip it over for the, for the, uh, for the FDA? Okay. And in theory, we should be able to, to do that. But when a lot of the testing wasn't done that they're going to be looking at and the requirements don't match, um, it's just not as clean and it all has to be redone. Um, sometimes they would say, forget it, it's just not worth it. Or they know that their product has such a marketplace um, or possible market share in the U.S. that it is worth it to redo it. But our point is that if you do it to the standard to begin with, it, it would be valid anywhere in the world. So. Right. So yeah, so yeah, it's also the question from from people or from 
um, manufacturers coming from outside of the US and arriving and maybe not having all the knowledge of what is required or what is needed. Uh, maybe it's also something that, uh, that uh, yeah, is worth maybe the time for them to plan that. If in the future they plan to go to US, maybe to also understand really the regulation and what is required before to start a project or before to think, oh, it will be easier. As you mentioned, you just have to flip the documents and the, to the, the language maybe or things, and then it's fine. We are, we are good to go. So, yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, one other thing is about um, the validations uh, that we discussed about. So we had talked about the process. So is it the same process or same, same steps that we have to follow uh, for a software that is used in manufacturing, a software that is used in quality management system, or a software that is used in, for a product? So is there any differences or we have really to go through the exact same steps? It, it all, again, it, it depends on, on the risk. I mean, you want to, um, you know, if, if you talk about safety stuff, uh, however it's being used, you want to you want to make sure that you have rigorous uh, and, and robustness test cases to cover every every everything that you can think of to to make sure that the system is doing what it's supposed to do. Um, you know, if it's if it's not critical, sometimes you don't you don't have to do certain phases of the of the validation verification process. Maybe you just have to do a code read and don't have to do unit testing, and just do you know do the user end testing and and, and that's that. Uh, but typically, for for anything that's safety critical, you kind of have to uh, do formalized testing for all the phases of VMV. So do you consider, for example, um, a quality management system software like a dog control software or like a Kappa system software or some software that are more database uh, driven and that are just here to confirm that this is the right document considered as a safety risk um, software or something like that? Well, most, most, uh, most tools or software that's used for any kind of 1345 process can be, you can take credit just by doing the validation more like user end kind of testing of the components that you're using for that particular project. Okay. So you don't exhaustively test that particular tool or software that you're using. But again, that's where risk comes in again, even if it's, you know, financial risk or, or, or safety risk, you want to, you want to make sure that, that it's doing what it's intended to do and whatever test cases you need to, to prove that that's, that's what, that's all you need for those kind of yeah, you know, it's most it's mostly you know the critical stuff is mostly software that's on that live inside the device that okay. is going to only kind of you know where where somebody can can get uh, seriously injured or, or or possibly die. You want to make sure that 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 you you treat that as a safety critical uh, component. There there are some areas that we've run into uh, in a manufacturing company where the machine itself, uh, the software that drives the machine that makes something that could be safety critical, um, could be looked at as more serious. You know, to say it's class three, it might not hit that level, but you definitely want to know that, um, that there's no one attacking the system from the outside, that there's some cybersecurity measures in place so people can change the, uh, the CNC machine to make sure that a blade is correct or that the catheter is the right size and things like that. Um, but a lot of these systems, uh, even in the US, weren't looked at very strongly uh, until just a few years ago. And a lot of people have had systems in place for 15, 20 years, just making simple little uh, metal parts and wrapping them in a package and then labeling them and sending them out. And they have no idea how it's supposed to work. They have no requirements. So they know that when they put a part number in that box, 
that it tells them the inventory location and the price. And my question to them is, how do you know that? Well, that's the way it's always worked. But do you have a document that tells you that it's supposed to work this way and that we can test it to prove that it's working correctly? And that's where the, the issues can come in. Okay, great. So um, in terms of, um, of software, I have also another example. So now we are in an era where we are starting to see a lot of uh, um, devices that are connected, devices that are helping us, if I can say, in our own life, and also a lot of uh, devices that starts to have uh, some kind of uh, artificial intelligence. So um, for me, artificial intelligence is not really a, a software that is um, is locked, if I can say. It's something that is always evolving. So it means that it's changing minute after minute or, uh, in terms of frequency. So how are we? How can we really validate this kind of software when we don't really know where it's going, if I can say? So, so there's, there's two parts to AI that, that from on the front lines, when I talk to customers, that, that there's a, 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 a two types of AI, I'll call it. So a device itself um, can go through algorithms and it needs data um, through testing in order to prove out that it works and that certain um, tests that it's performing are proven out over thousands sometimes of, of different uh, tests that the device performs. Um, then there's AI in artificial intelligence um, where it's just a software standalone device where that's all that it is, it's just an AI device. So there's some different versions to that. And um, on the first part of the device, depending on how many tests need to be performed to prove that the data is real and the FDA will trust it is, is really all over the board right now. Um, some customers want to do regression testing as quickly as possible, but coming up with the metrics to measure when it hits that threshold is still something that, that even the FDA is, is struggling with. Um, and we're working on a device right now that has some of those AI components to it. And it's very, very difficult to say when it will be ready to hit a certain threshold. And then, you know, Raphael can talk to you a little bit about those thresholds and, and how to test for that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of these AIs, you know, you can have a couple, two different kinds. You have a fixed fixed AI and a dynamic uh, AI. Um, so, so, so the fixed ones is pretty straightforward because, you know, you, you kind of train it uh, beforehand. And then once, once it's fixed, before it goes to the, to the release, that, that, that's what you test at the fixed point to make sure that, all the training data was properly uh, um, used and, 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 and it was, it was uh, active in terms of the AI. For the dynamic one, even if it's supposed to be dynamic on the field, in terms of testing, you have to, you have to make it fixed uh, it, uh, when, when you're doing the testing points. The only difference with the dynamic part of it is that you have to do it in multiple uh, fixed locations to make sure that over time that it's still performing the, the way it's supposed to. Uh, outside of that, there's still a lot of uh, changes uh, happening in terms of IVMV with, uh, in relationship with AI, and it's still, a lot of things are still developing. And, uh, you know, as always, we're, we're keeping an eye on, on, on those new, uh, new developments. Oh, it's good. I think, yeah, it's, it will be a, a topic that will come more and more now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we are talking about AI since many years, but uh, now uh, I see more publications, see more articles, see more things about that. 
I don't know about Apple if they are starting to think about, I mean, to work on that with their Apple Watch again, create algorithm mm-hmm. for that. So yeah, it's uh, I think some topics that uh, FDA and even Europe should now tackle and really uh, create some guidance of software companies. Uh, because without, I mean, without that, we are we are a bit lost. So we don't really know what to do. So great. So thank you. I think it was really an interesting uh, discussion. So is there anything from your side that uh, you want to add or you want to still uh, inform people? Um, Well, if anybody would like um, any help or assessment on understanding where they are in the process, we're we're available. Um, uh, I think that it'll be shared at the end of the podcast. Uh, There is one item that uh, we have incorporated into our processes and procedures that's uh, relatively new in the last year and a half. Um, and that's translation services. Okay. So as people come to us from around the world, anywhere from China, Japan, um, which are very difficult languages to translate technically, uh, or all over Europe, uh, and bring a device into the U.S., it needs to be in English uh, for the FDA. So the translation process can be fairly simple with words, but when you're technically translating um, pressures and sensor information and things, uh, we now offer that as a service um, so that we can have everything translated and then put into the documentation that we're going to do um, here for the FDA. So that's an a add-on service that, that we have, um, and it's a technical service, and it's the only one of its kind in the world that is guaranteed to be technically accurate when it's done. So um, other than that, you know, our 45 years of experience is, is uh, here uh, if you need it. Great. So yeah, I hope people, if they have some question, will will contact you directly, and maybe we'll um, ask your services to to help them in this uh, long way, difficult way, as we've seen, <laughs> uh, to validate uh, validate the software. Uh, so yeah, so really, uh, really appreciate it. So thank you very much. Um, so uh, as I said, uh, I will share all your details on the on the on the pod, on the podcast show notes. Uh, where people can can reach out to you. So mainly, I suppose uh, you have your website on your on your company. Yes, it's uh, generaldigital.com or gdsoftwareservices.com goes directly to our um, portion of the website. And uh, you know, there's some overview there and some contact information. And um, you know, if we can help, we we would love the opportunity. And I'd like to to thank you for uh, what you do with Easy Medical Devices, informing people. That's really the most important part of it is, is making sure that people understand um, how important this is and that if you, you know, you can save money, even though it costs a lot of money, there is still savings there if you do it the right way. So uh, I thank you for, for sharing that with people. No, exactly. So as I said, my, my objective is really to, to bring value to people, to inform them of what is existing. As you said, instead of making mistakes at the beginning and losing a lot of money, a lot of time, maybe there is a solution that is cheaper and that people can use. So. I hope that uh, they can also uh, hear that and uh, use your services for that. So, so thank you for that. Thank so I say goodbye to you, and uh, then uh, I hope uh, people <laughs> will reach out to you. And uh, yeah, don't forget to tell tell Bill that uh, you come from this podcast if you if you hear from if you if you reach out to him. So, please do. <laughs> thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye bye. Hey, EasyMed Nation. So, how did you find the episode? I think Bill and Raphael were really good to explain all about software validation. And I hope you'll follow all their advices because I think they shared really a lot of experience. As they said, 45 years of experience. So, I think they have a lot to, uh, to tell us. And it's really good to have them on this episode and to, uh, and to help you. As I've said, my mission is uh, to help you put a compliant medical device on the market. Uh, so uh, it will be really bad if you uh, try to uh, 
uh, have a software uh, on the market, uh, but it's rejected by other authorities because I mean you you forgot to follow this or that step. Uh, so uh, Bill and Raphael also asked me to share with you uh, an infographic, so I will put that on the show notes. It's showing exactly the different steps uh, for validation. As I, as we talked about the V shape, uh, so it's mainly what we, it will be showing. Uh, so don't hesitate to download it and to and to use it really uh, to put a compliant medical device on the market. And don't forget to also call them if you need any documentation translation from your country to to the US. Uh, I think it's also it's also important. Okay, so I think we are at the end. Uh, if you really like the episode, please put me some good reviews, five five stars if possible. And also, um, yeah, don't forget also to share that with your colleagues. Uh, if they are really interested by medical device regulation and standards. Okay, so thank you very much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye.